You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, let's pray before we jump into tonight. Lord, thank you so much. Um, every time I get to come up here, I'm just so amazed that um, you are working in my life and you used me. And I pray that you would speak through me tonight to reach um, all the hearts that you want reached. And I pray that you would open up our minds to know you more, that we would fall more in love with you, um, that we wouldn't just have a head knowledge of you, Lord, but that we would grow in our relationship with you. Uh, We love you. Amen. Um, So I was thinking about um, kind of like comebacks of this decade. I know it's 2020 and we're kind of thinking, I know like a lot of people did like a decade challenge of like what you look like 10 years ago. For a lot of you, you were like just born basically. Um, but for me, I was in eighth grade. Um, well, kind of, seventh, eighth grade. And um, I think about the comeback of the Jonas Brothers from when I liked them until now. And so um, when I was in eighth grade, me and my friends were obsessed with the Jonas Brothers. Like, that was like our band. I didn't really care for anybody else. Um, me and my friend, uh, particularly like Joe, and I feel like Joe has always been like the favorite. Nick hits the high notes. Joe like leads the team, and Kevin's just there, right? Um, so uh, we love the Jonas Brothers, and we actually went to one of their concerts. And I kid you not, I like I will go to my grave with this truth that we were in the first front rows, and um, it was like one of the slow songs, and Nick looked right at me and my friend, and we were, like, going like this, like, waving, and he waved back, and so I have that, Um, but, like, I was so, we were so in love with the Jonas Brothers, we would always say, like, maybe one day we'll get to meet them, and there was a meet and greet opportunity, and that didn't happen. Uh, Long story, I'll tell you that later. (laughs) Um, That didn't happen, but we would always say, like, if we met them, that would be such a miracle, like, it'd be a miracle if we could meet them, And as we talk about miracles tonight, I want to just describe kind of this misconception we might have about miracles. Because we throw the word miracle around a lot, but what does that really mean? And what kind of miracles did Jesus do and and why were they important? So we're going to answer three common questions tonight that I think everybody has about miracles. Um, And hopefully this will help you understand more about what miracles are, um, and kind of give you some fun facts to share with your friends. So that will make more sense later. Um, The first question we're going to answer tonight is, what is a miracle? So I looked up the definition. The definition of a miracle is an event that is unexplainable by natural or scientific laws and thought to be the work of a divine agency. Basically, a miracle is something that goes against the laws of nature and is done by God, essentially, right? Um, so miracles don't have like one particular category. For instance, Jesus rising from the dead was a miracle. If someone can like rise from the grave, that goes against the laws of nature, right? But there's another event, um, you guys may have heard of before, that actually goes against the laws of nature as well. Um, kind of random, but it's called the Big Bang. Who's heard of the Big Bang before? Maybe in your classes. So I grew up loving science. I would actually collect little roly-polies and put them, like, in a little bug cage. Um, I know, super cute, right? And I would, like, I was just obsessed with, like, 
animals. Um, I just, I was all about science. My grandpa was a scientist and he, well, biologist, but he would teach science classes at different colleges. And so I kind of grew up with this love for science. And when I was in high school, I took an AP biology class. I was like, I think I want to do this in college. So I went to Cal Poly and um, majored in biology. So I've been in the science community for a while. I'm doing my master's in biology right now. And so someone who has been in the science community for a while, I've learned about the laws of nature and what science can and cannot define. And did you know that science can't actually prove the supernatural? Science can't prove the existence of God, but it can't disprove the existence of God because science can only explain natural laws. And because God is a supernatural being, we can't use science to prove that God exists, but we can use that information to point us to evidence that leads us to a faith in believing in the supernatural. Does that make sense? So the Big Bang, for those of you who may not know, is an event that scientists say is how the world began. And you may have heard about this, but not really know what it is. So I'm going to explain it a little bit to you. So the Big Bang Theory states that the beginning of the universe started with something called a singularity. And they don't call it an atom. They don't call it a particle or a molecule. It was just, we don't really know what it was, but it was just this, like, just picture something so, so small. It was a fraction of the size of an atom. You guys remember, like, um, if you're taking chemistry, an atom has a nucleus and electrons and protons, and you're like, don't tell me about that. I don't want to know. Um, but it was a fraction of the size of an atom, and it was just sitting there. And at this time, there was no matter. There was no space or time or energy. There was just this little singularity. But in that singularity, scientists say it was so dense, and it had so many forces going on in it, that in a fraction of a second, it exploded Picture um, an atomic bomb. You know how an atomic bomb works? You split an atom in half. Isn't that crazy? Something so small can create such a big explosion. This particle was so dense that it literally exploded. You couldn't even see it, and it exploded to create what is the known universe. The reason why we know that the universe had a beginning is because it's actually expanding. I don't know if you knew that, but the universe is expanding. It's growing at a rapid um, rate, and so we know that something had a beginning if it's expanding because it had a point of expansion. So, how is that a miracle? Well, there's a few laws of nature that can't be broken, and, and they are this, that matter and energy can't be created or destroyed. Maybe you've heard of that law of conservation of matter and energy. Matter and energy can't be created or destroyed. And that means that, for instance, if you see a plant outside, if you see a tree growing, you don't just assume that that tree just got there just because. You know that there was a seed that grew the tree, and that seed came from another tree, and so on. So matter, this paper, came from a tree, which came from a seed, which came from, and you see the, the idea. Matter has to come from matter. Energy comes from another source of energy. So if you guys rub your hands, my hands are actually really cold right now. If you rub your hands together like this, what you're actually doing is, if you notice your hands get warmer, you're transforming kinetic energy, which is movement, into thermal energy, which is heat. So this heat doesn't just come from nothing. It's transformed from the kinetic energy. So I hope everyone's tracking with me. Matter and energy can't be created or destroyed, right? How is this a miracle? How is the Big Bang a miracle? The Big Bang is a miracle because of this. That singularity couldn't have just appeared unless the supernatural happened. Because apparently 
that singularity had all the matter and energy in the known universe and it exploded to give us all the stars and all the time, space, energy that we have now. But that, according to the laws of nature, would have had to come from another source of matter and energy. Does that make sense? But we don't have an answer for that. And so the only explanation that scientists say is, we don't know. It doesn't make sense. And so even though the Big Bang describes the event that caused the creation of the universe, we know that a miracle actually happened because something happened that defies the law of nature because matter and energy aren't eternal. They don't always exist. Your life has a timeline. Energy has a timeline. I don't know if you knew this, but the sun actually has a timeline. In a few billion years, it's going to die out, and Earth will freeze over. But we'll be gone by then. <laughs> so everything has a, matter and energy have a timeline. So this particle couldn't have always existed, which means it had a beginning, which means it is a miracle because a miracle is an event that is unexplainable by natural or scientific laws. And it's interesting because in John 1.1, 1, 1, we know who was there in the beginning. John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he says, that in the beginning was the word, and he's referring to Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He later says that all things were made through him, and without him, nothing that you see that, that is made was made without him. So in the beginning, Jesus was there. In the beginning, Jesus created this miracle. So a miracle is any event that is unexplainable by natural or scientific laws and is the work of God. So now that we know what miracles are, let's answer this question. What kind of miracles did Jesus do and who were they really for? One of the Gospels, if you guys don't know what the word gospel means, it means good news. When we talk about the Gospels in the Bible, it's the first four books of the New Testament. So it's named after people who wrote it or narrated it. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Mark, it's one of the shorter Gospels, Mark records these different miracles. And so just in the book of Mark, it literally read, just kind of skimmed through and looked at the little, like, subtitles, and I looked at all the parts that describe Jesus' miracles. So, just in the book of Mark, these are the miracles that Jesus did. You ready? So, in the book of Mark, we see that Jesus, um, he was healing a man with an unclean spirit. He's healing a man of leprosy. He, he, he heals a paralyzed man. He heals a man with a withered hand. He calms a storm at sea. He heals a man with a demon. He heals a woman of her bleeding. He raises a girl from the dead. He feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. He feeds another crowd of 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. He heals a blind man. He heals a boy with an unclean spirit. He heals another blind man. He curses a fig tree and it withers. And he rises from the grave. That's probably the most important one. Um, but do you notice that that word healing, he heals, that's kind of like the, the, the word that is described most often when we think of Jesus' miracles, right? But there are things that Jesus did that weren't directed towards people necessarily. Like, for instance, him um, calming the storm at sea. Of course, if he's, there's this account where um, Jesus and his disciples are on a boat, and, and it says that Jesus was sleeping and his disciples were freaking out because they thought they were going to die because the you know, storm was so crazy. And they tell him, like, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, you know, we're going to die out here. And then he goes out and he's like, be still. And then, the, you know, the sea dies down. And he's like, really, guys? Like, do you have no faith? Um, so that, sure, like, I guess affected the disciples. But he wasn't, it wasn't directly towards them. So the miracles that he did 
were not necessarily always towards other people, but the majority of the miracles he did um, was healing. And specifically, he was healing a group of people that we could put in a category called the marginalized. So I want you to picture a piece of paper. Everybody has paper at school, right? You know the margins on a piece of paper? The word marginalized comes from that word margin. Margins on a piece of paper are sort of the the parts on the piece of paper that are put to the side. You want to stay within the margins, right? So the margins are sort of pushed to the side. They're kind of ignored and usually just forgotten. We don't really care about the margins. And the people that Jesus healed were really on the margins of society. They were marginalized. And there's one man in particular that I want to share with you tonight who was completely marginalized, completely forgotten and ignored by society. But Jesus comes and he does something pretty miraculous in his life. And so this is in Luke 8, verse 26. It says this, Then they, they is Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, so he was naked, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Think a cemetery. He was living in a cemetery with no clothes, and he had demons, okay? You don't want to go near this place. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. (laughs) I'm picturing myself being like a random bystander watching this. Like maybe, I don't know, they probably weren't doing this, but someone's like having lunch with a friend, like a little picnic, and you're like, oh, man, that's the crazy guy. Then you keep talking, and then you look over, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's yelling. And then you see a large herd of pigs rush into a lake and just stay underwater. (laughs) That's not your average day. Um, One thing I do want you to notice from this, though, is that Jesus came to this region. He knew this man was there. It was no surprise to him that this man was there. But this man, if if you recall when we read this, that it said he wore no clothes, he had demons, he lived in a cemetery. That doesn't sound like someone who is really welcomed in society. He was completely isolated. People want to have nothing to do with him. They tried to bound him with chains and he broke them. And he was completely cast off. What's interesting is that the demons respond for the man. When, this, when Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is so creepy, you guys. The, the demons respond legion. Do you know what legion means? Legion is referring to a multitude of thousands. So Roman legion was, if you look up the numbers, it's between three and 6,000 men. So when they say legion, it said he responded legion for many demons had entered him. This man was completely possessed. It wasn't just like 
One demon was there. He was completely possessed. And in another um, account of this story in Mark, it said that this man was actually in torment and he would cut himself with stones. So the demons had completely taken over this man. He was living in a cemetery. He had no clothes. No one wanted to have anything to do with him. In fact, they were trying to keep him bound because they were scared of him. I would be scared of him. I mean, there are so many demons living inside this man that he's not in his right mind. But it doesn't say why Jesus sailed to this region, but it said that he sailed there. And we know that Jesus knows all things. And so we know that, this, that Jesus knew this man was there and he had a mission to heal him. So I have a question for you. Have you ever had people in your life who said that they cared about you or loved you, but they didn't act like it? I know that there are people in in my life who have told me that they really cared about me or that they loved me. And maybe for you, that is someone that you've been in a relationship with. Maybe that is even your own parents. Maybe that's a cousin or a friend who just completely backstabbed you. I think all of us in one way or another can relate to someone telling us that they care about us, but they don't show it. But did you know that God doesn't do that? He doesn't just say, I love you unconditionally. I would do anything for you. If someone is going to tell you something like that, you know what they have to do? They have to show you. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates, he shows his love for us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul Leder says in that verse that one would barely die for a good person. More like, and, and how much more than that they would even die for someone who was sinning against them. But it says that, but God demonstrates his love for us, that even while we were still sinning, he died for us. And even though you may feel like people have wronged you, that you can't trust your friends, you can't trust your family, you can't trust other people, there is one person you can trust, and it's God. Because we see that Jesus came to this man. This man didn't have to come to him. Jesus knew his state. He knew that his life was a mess, And he still chose to come. And you know what he did? He showed him that he loved him by healing him. And some of you tonight are asking God for a miracle. Um, I know um, a few friends who have family members who have cancer right now. I know a few family members um, or friends who have family members who have died from cancer. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why didn't God heal them? I don't know about you, but I've asked that question. God, why didn't you heal this person? Why did you heal this person but not this person? This person was so much more important to me than this person, and they did so many more good things than this, but we don't know the heart of God other than that he is good. And so there are times where things happen where God does a miracle in one area, but he doesn't do a miracle in another. And all we can say is that everything works out for our good in some way. But ultimately what we learn from this from this story with this man is that Jesus comes to save. He knows where you're hiding. <laughs> he knows your condition, but he still comes to heal you because he loves you and he shows it by doing something about it. And so lastly, the question we're going to answer is this. What was the purpose of Jesus' miracles and do they still happen today? So there are three reasons why Jesus did miracles, and those are on your notes. The first one is this. Jesus did miracles to display his power. Um, (laughs) 
I think it's funny, there are times where you might hear people in society, or even, I'll give a specific example. Um, when I was in high school, and actually from fourth grade to 12th grade, I played the viola. So I was in orchestra, uh, you may not know that about me, but I played the viola. And um, when I was in my senior year of high school, I was in the chamber orchestra, which is really cool. I was the section leader in the chamber orchestra. So um, that was sort of a big deal for me. I was like the head of the head of the head, like in my section. Um, and there was the most obnoxious guy who sat behind me, who thought he knew all the answers, who thought he knew everything, who thought he was better than me. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And there was one day where our, um, I forget what, what we called her, but her name was Mrs. Clark, but I forget her real like title. Um, the head orchestra lady, um, she asked us to count a certain um, sheet of music. And I counted it one way, and the noxious guy behind me counted it another way. And he thought he was right. And so being in the position I was in, I told him, no, it's this way. Like, I've been doing this longer. I think I know what the answer is. And so he, didn't, he was just, you know, saying, you don't know anything. I know better. So we asked our teacher who was right, and I ended up being right. And I probably said something I shouldn't have to him, but I was just so mad um, that he was, like, questioning my authority. But if someone claims to have some kind of authority, they have to back it up. If I claim to be able to raise my own life from the dead, how do you know I'm capable of something like that? Unless I show you that I have power at all. C.S. Lewis actually has a really great um, quote. And he says that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. The reason being is this. Some people say that Jesus is a good teacher. Maybe some of your friends say, I believe that Jesus was good. He helped people. He healed people, right? He was a good teacher. But you don't call someone a good teacher if they say that they have the ability to rise from the dead and that they can raise your life from the dead. You're going to call them crazy, right? Someone is crazy if they claim that. They're either crazy because they think they can, but they can't. They're either lying because they are telling you they can, but they know they can't, or they're Jesus, and they're telling you they can because they actually can. So Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He's Lord. And so he did these miracles to prove that he had this power. In John 10, 17, he's talking to a group of people, and he tells them this, that he is able to lay down his life and to take it up. Basically, he's saying, I can rise from the dead. In John eleven twenty five to 26, he's at Lazarus' funeral, basically. If you guys remember the story of Lazarus, it's one of um, Jesus' friends, and he died. Okay, he's dead. He's in the tomb for four days. And his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are basically like, Lord, why didn't you come sooner? My brother wouldn't have died if you came sooner. But then he has this conversation with Martha and he tells her that anyone believes in me, even though he die, he will actually live. Meaning, even though you have a physical death, you will have a spiritual life. So if, if he's saying those things, he has to prove it. And so that is one reason why Jesus performed these miracles, was to show these people that he had the power to do what he said he was going to do. So he, he did miracles to display his power. But the second point on your notes is this, that he did miracles to display his love. I like to think of it like this. If someone has the power to completely change your life, if you're in complete desperation, like some of these people were, like this demon-possessed man, 
or this, um, let's say there was someone who was paralyzed. I, I know this story in John 5 where there was this paralyzed man who was sitting at, it said it was called the sheep gate. It was a pool where everybody kind of gathered and it was sort of considered the healing pool. And it said this man had been there for 38 years. It was 38 years, and this pool was supposed to be, it had healing properties, and if they could just get down to the pool, then they would be healed. But Jesus says, he's like, what are you doing here? And he said, Lord, I've been here for 38 years, and every time I try and go down to this pool, someone steps before me. I just can't imagine what that must have been like for this man who's completely desperate. He, He wants to be healed, but he's sitting there for 38 years waiting for a miracle. And then Jesus comes, and he's like, get up, you're healed. And can you imagine what that must be like to to have your life completely transformed, completely changed? It's not just about the physical miracle. I hope you guys understand that, that you might be praying for a miracle right now, but you want nothing to do with God. You just want your life to get better. You just want your life to change. And can I tell you, even if God did change your life, you would still be miserable Because any life that is apart from Jesus is just hopeless. You might be feeling hopeless tonight. Maybe you're a Christian and you feel hopeless, but Jesus is near to you. And so if you're here tonight and you're saying, God, I just want a miracle, just remember that Jesus is not so much interested in making your life better. He wants you to be drawn to him. It's not so much about the miracle as it is the miracle maker. Do you get that? It's not so much about the miracle. It's about the miracle maker. Jesus never did these miracles in the Bible. He never does them in your life so that you would be drawn to the miracle. It's so that you would be drawn to himself. Another passage, I wasn't even thinking about sharing this, but there's another passage in the Bible where Jesus heals ten lepers. You know what a leper is? It's just a person with leprosy. Basically, leprosy was a disease that essentially marginalized everybody who had it. They had their own little towns. It was a completely contagious disease that would destroy all the nerves in your body so you couldn't feel any pain. Some of you are like, wow, that sounds great to not feel pain. Yeah, unless you step on a rock or something and you don't know it, and then you have a gash in your leg and you don't realize it's infected. So The problem with this disease was that you had sores all over you. You just looked, just, you were embarrassed to show your face in public. They would cover their faces, and they they couldn't feel, you know, pain, and they were pushed away from society. But Jesus, it says that Jesus heals ten of these lepers, and it says after he healed them, they all went away rejoicing, as they should. I would be happy if that happened to me. But it says that only one Man returned to thank Jesus. And I feel so guilty when I, when I read that story at times because I think of all the times where I prayed for something and I prayed, God, would you give me this? Would you give me this? And when I got it, I was just like, great, let's move on. I didn't stop to really thank God and say, God, I'm, I'm grateful you gave me this, but I really want more of you. Do you guys ever pray that? That, that you could have more of Jesus I think so often we just settle for this mediocre version of Christianity. We can just come to HSM and we can come to church and it's okay if we don't read our Bible because it's not legalistic. We don't have to read it every day. But can I tell you, you're missing out if you live that way. You're completely missing out. And I've shared this before, but when I was in high school, that is how I lived. I had this 
mediocre Christianity, and I always get emotional talking about it because we should get emotional as Christians talking about how Jesus has saved us. Because if it becomes something that's, that we don't really care about, then we don't realize the magnitude of what we've been saved from and who we've been saved by. That Jesus is not some person that, that just exists in the pages of a book. Do you realize that he created the universe, that it says that everything was made through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He is not someone that is your genie that can just fix your life. He would rather wreck your physical life so that you have spiritual life in him. And so there might be moments where you're praying for a miracle, but I would encourage you to pray, God, even if you don't show up, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if you don't save me, I will still praise you. And I want my life to be like that, and I hope you guys want yours to be like that too. And lastly, Jesus performed miracles to use restored lives to bring others to him. At the end of the story with the man who is healed, it says this, the man from whom the demons had gone out, this is Luke 8, 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. When I was going to summer camp uh, my sophomore year, that was the year where God really turned my heart around and I felt like I need to be all in. I need to be all in. And I, can I tell you, every person that I came across in my classes, in school, I shared the gospel with them. I was like, do you go to church? Do you listen to worship music? You really should come with me to church. Like, I really met Jesus and, and you should too. And I was so I was crazy. Like, everyone knew me as, like, that Jesus girl. And, and I, was, I was embarrassed at times, I have to say. I, I feel like I was so, I realized the magnitude of what Jesus had done for me that I couldn't help but share. But that made me look kind of stupid sometimes in front of people who didn't get it. But that's okay. Because they don't have to get it right away. And it's not your job to convert people or to make them believe anything. It's your job to share the light, share the message, and let God do the rest. So if you're feeling defeated, maybe you feel like, I don't know if I can share my faith. Just share what has God done in your life. And if you can't think of anything, then grow deeper with him so you can share things. Because there are so many things that God has done in my life. For those of you who have known me for the past few years, you know my car was stolen like two years ago on the church property. <laughs> you're like, what? Your car is probably safe um, if you drive. But uh, my car is stolen here. And like the whole story of how like I got a new car for free is just crazy to me. I can share my God story. What is your God story that you need to share with somebody? Because I guarantee you, you have something to share that someone else needs to hear. Because God never does something in your life just so that you can keep it to yourself. So as we kind of wrap up our time, the last question that we're answering right now is, what was the purpose of the miracles and do they still happen today? Some of you might be wondering, I've never seen a miracle. Do miracles still happen? The Bible says that any time a person passes from death to life, they put their faith in Jesus, a miracle happens. But in reality... I've never seen a person who's blind recover their sight. I've never seen a person who was paralyzed walk again. 
I've never seen those miraculous things that we think of, but I have heard of other people where their cancer was gone and the doctors can't explain it. I've heard of other stories in other countries where people are so immersed in, in Islam and then Jesus comes to them in a dream and they renounce Islam even though they know that their family could kill them and they follow Jesus. I've heard miracles because just like this man who was relieved from these demons, Jesus tells him, you can't come with me because you have a job to do. You need to go and tell everybody you know how much God has done for you. So because I may never have seen a miracle, the people who have seen and experienced the miracles have done their job of sharing with other people who have shared with me, and now I can know the power of God in other people's lives. So if you've ever experienced a miracle, if you ever know someone who has then share that with your group tonight. Let's talk about what God has done. It's, it's encouraging and it's empowering to, to talk about what God is doing because you may think that God might be, you know, are you, are you asleep, God? Like, you're not really doing anything in my life. But when you hear everybody else share what God is doing, then you're just encouraged. There's something that happens, and, and we're just empowered by that. So last thing I want to say is this. Let's not be so focused on the miracles on Jesus doing the miracles in our lives, but let's be more focused on the miracle maker because ultimately God wants to use miracles. He wants to use miracles to bring others to him and he wants to use them to show you his glory, to show you his power, to show you that he loves you and so that you can share that with others. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your power that it, it's just beyond anything that we can comprehend. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you give us your word to guide us. Um, I pray that we would just be open to reading the word, that we would be open to listening to what you have to say, even if it's uncomfortable or doesn't go with what we think should be. Let's just surrender and submit our lives to what you have to say, Lord. I pray that you would just empower us to go out from here, to share what you've done and and I pray that you would encourage us that you're still on the move and you love us so much um, that you come to us, Lord, even in our brokenness and our mess. We love you. Amen.